you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. We have been going through a series called Amazing Love, and it's going going through the book of Hosea. And so we're just continuing that series, and we're in Hosea chapter 13 uh, today as we get really close to the end of this book. Well, I was at um, at Meyer again this week, and and also Sam's Club, and and also Walmart. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of needs that pop up when you think you're going to be in, in, in your home for two weeks, you know, without going out. Um, and so it's really easy to see if you walk around the stores, you know, what people, uh, what they wanted, you know, or what they perceived their needs were. And so, like, meat was, like, not there. Um, there was no milk. There was no bread. Rice, beans, pasta, all of those things were uh, very scarce. Flour. Um, of course, toilet paper is hard to find, and water, too, which is kind of strange to me. But anyway, uh, that is, is a, a scarce item. And uh, when you ask people at, at my house um, what should go on the grocery list, you're going to get some different answers. Like some people are all about ice cream, cookie dough, and pizza rolls, and other people are about broccoli, salad, and apples. So I'll let you figure out who likes what at our house or who thinks we need what at our house, but it's different. We have different ideas about what we need. Human beings have a lot of different needs, and some of them are more fundamental than others. And so here in Hosea chapter 13, um, we're going to see that there are some needs here. There's five needs buried underneath the behaviors of God's people, and uh, which they can all find their satisfaction in amazing love. Now, the trouble was with the people then and with people now is we go looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. We go and find poor substitutes for our needs, and that's what has got God's people in his just judgment crosshairs. So uh, his people, remember, are living in this covenant relationship with him. They have been for 800 years. They entered into this uh, covenant with him, and God said, I will bless you if you do these things. I will curse you if you do these things. And the people have not been able to live up to their end of the promise. And so God is about ready to bring his punishment on his people um, unless they would turn back to him with humble and sincere uh, repentant hearts. So we're going to look again at the crimes, at the punishment, at the alternatives uh, this morning. But before we do that, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us to be our teacher, to help us turn our hearts away from all the poor substitutes that we have in this life and to fully to amazing love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day that we have here uh, together, the time that, he, that we have set aside to to be in your word, uh, to sing to you, um, to hear from you, and to have our hearts comforted and strengthened by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, as we um, go through this chapter, um, most likely very unfamiliar to most of us, um, that you would uh, speak to us, uh, that you would uh, draw us close to you, and that you would call us to take steps in our lives that Um, walk away from things of this world and and just putting our trust fully in you for everything that we need. I pray the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so in verses 1 to 3, we're going to get the first need here. And it it is a spiritual need. So let's read those verses. Uh, When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall, make, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor. Or like smoke from a window. 
And so as we read through that, there's not a lot new that we learn. We've been going through this, this book. Um, the people are demonstrating their spiritual need, their need to worship. Um, Ephraim was one of the tribes of Israel. And when they started off, they were small. They were not very, very big in the, in the uh, community. And so uh, Hosea describes them as trembling when they spoke. But as time went on, um, they grew in strength. They grew in prominence. And now they're representative of the whole northern kingdom of Israel. And Hosea says that they died when they began to worship Baal. Their sin continued, and they began to put their skilled craftsmen to making these incredible idols made out of metal and silver and gold, um, calves, um, animals of all different kinds. So <clears throat> then verse 2 gives us this unsettling picture of people um, doing human sacrifices, most likely children, to these gods as an act of worship uh, to Baal. So just imagine taking your son or your daughter to the temple shrine and having the temple priest sacrifice them at the foot of an idol. That's what the people were doing. It was considered such a great sacrifice was considered this high form of worship. And they were saying it's like you were kissing the calf. Why would somebody do such an unthinkable, gruesome thing? Because they have a spiritual need. Because our enemy has created all kinds of religious activity that you can do that promises to meet our appetites, our needs, and it has led to all manner of apostasy. Now, idol worship is still going on today, even though we aren't putting our skilled craftsmen to making these golden calves, you know, where we put them in the temples or we come into our homes and they exist there. Idols today are different today. Um, And we still have them. And we may even be sacrificing our children on the altar of these idols and not really even knowing it. We have named them in the past and things like success is an idol or sex or food or fun or family can be an idol. Creation can be an idol. Fame is an idol today. So idols are anything or anyone that we would put ahead of God, that we would want more than God in our life. And you can recognize an idol in your life by things that you're not willing to let go of. So if you're not holding your life loosely in your hands, if there's something in your life that you're gripping so tightly and that you wouldn't give up for God, then you have, you have identified an idol in your life. And it's there, all of this is there, because man is created with a spiritual need, a need to worship. And when we fell in the garden, all of our... Uh, efforts at meeting our needs got all messed up. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. God created in us this spiritual need, but he also made himself available to meet that need. And so listen to this description of our amazing, majestic, awesome God. You can find it in Revelation chapter 4. It's God's throne room. It's happening right now as you're listening to me. This is verses 3 to 11, a description of our God. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumbling of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. That is our God. And we are not 
asked to sacrifice our children to be able to worship him. In fact, quite the opposite. He has sacrificed his child so that we could worship him, so that we could know him, so that we could do life with him. He has sacrificed his own son. You know, our lives are not very long and they are not very strong. Verse 6, verse 13, it, it describes them. Sorry, verse 3 describes them um, as things that disappear very quickly. The morning dew, smoke from a window. We're able to see it for a moment and then it vanishes. So what is the best way to live this short life that we have been given? To live it by worshiping the one true God who alone is worthy, who alone can meet our spiritual need. Now, the rest of Revelation 4 tells us how to do that. Revelation 4, 9 to 11. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they laid their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. The only way to live our lives is by laying down our crowns. Laying down our achievements, laying down our successes, our family, our friends, our life. We put it down before the throne of God and we say with our mouth, we proclaim, you alone are worthy. You created all things. You created me because it pleased you and I worship you today with my mouth. And then we leave the throne and we go out and we live our lives by serving him, obeying him, following him telling people about him, honoring him with our life. That's how we should live this short, brief life that we have been given. I mean, who cares if anybody remembers me or you? Who cares if our name is remembered? But we do care if his name is remembered. That's what our legacy should be. Are people going to know Jesus because we walked this earth? You do that. You live your life that way. And you're going to find out that amazing love will meet your spiritual need. Now we go on here in verses 4 to 8 and we're going to come upon another need. It's a support need. So let's read verses 4 to 8. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion. Like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. So God is reminding them as he begins these verses again of some familiar words that they would would have heard their whole life. I am the Lord your God in, in the land of Egypt. So back when you first started, I was your God. I've been there. And so outside of him, there is no help. There is no savior to find. Um, He is the one who took care of them, providing their basic necessities when they were in the wilderness. But when they were full, when they had prospered, then they were lifted up. Their hearts were lifted up in pride and and they forgot him. They forgot the one who supported them. So God is going to be bringing this fierce wrath upon them, describing himself as a lion that was going to devour them, as a leopard that was going to jump on them when they least expected it, as a mama bear who has lost her cubs. That fierce anger and rage was coming on them because they forgot him. Now, when you look back on them, when they came out of Israel and, and how that happened, if you remember how that went, went down, you can see how God supported them. I mean, he led them with a pillar of fire and a, and a cloud. Um, he provided uh, bread for them from heaven every day, fresh bread for your family, uh, meat coming in on the weekends. 
Um, he provided water for them from a rock. Um, he led them to a, a land of flowing with milk and honey, the, the land called the promised land, a, a land that was fruitful for growing crops. So he was faithful to all of them, and he warned them that when they were full of all the support that he had given them to not forget them. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 to 11. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land flowing, of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. So why the fierce anger from God? Because after he blessed them with all of that life support, after he met their needs in miraculous, wondrous, manifesting ways that, that they could see and warned them not to forget him, they did. <laughs> they forgot him. They took credit for all of their prosperity. You know, I was thinking we don't often feel uh, or often get to that place of helplessness, of feeling that helplessness, of feeling uh, fragile when it comes to life support, you know, our basic needs. I mean, most of us, most of the time, uh, we're, we're under this illusion of control. You know, this life thing that we're living, we got this thing. You know, we got it under control. But you know what? This current crisis that we're in is kind of shaking our world a little bit and revealing to us just how fragile our life really is. The spread of this virus, it's keeping us from going places. It's keeping us away from each other. And so we can't do for ourselves like we normally do. And even if we do go out there, there's no toilet paper to buy. In reality, in reality, that's where we really live. When life is normal, that's how fragile life really is. We have a life support need. And just like the Israelites coming out of Egypt that had nothing, no food, no water, God wants us to depend on him like they depended on him in the wilderness. Hosea, or sorry, Isaiah, uh, chapter 41, verse 10. This is what it says. Don't be afraid. For I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You know, I, I don't know um, all that God is doing through this crazy crisis that we are in with this, uh, the pandemic and the virus. But I do know this. There is, there is good that is coming out of this in, in this, that he is causing us to feel our support need again. And that is causing people to run to him who have forgotten him. And it's causing people to run to him who have never run to him before. And that's a reason to praise the Lord. That is good. You know, one of the names of our God is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And he wants his children to come to him and to lean on him, to depend on him for our life support. That is how we know him as provider. That is how we know him to be our help. And when our lives are full, when we can provide for ourselves all of these basic things, it is almost impossible for us to do that because we don't put ourselves in that situation. We don't risk helplessness, and so we can't know God's help because we're helping ourselves. Philippians 4, 5 to 7, God tells us how he wants to live through the words of the Apostle Paul. He wrote, remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You and I have a support need. Maybe we're feeling that today more than any other time in our lives. And your God wants to meet those needs. He can do it. Depend on him. Verses 9 to 11. Come up another need here. A safety need. Let's read. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. 
Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him in my wrath. So Hosea is bringing up another point in history uh, with the Israelites and God. And it's a sore spot for God, and he's sort of speaking back to them uh, about that, about where they were putting their trust uh, for their protection. He says, I'm about to destroy you, and the only one who can really keep you safe. But where is your king now? You know, where are they? Let's see how good they are at protecting you. I gave you a king because I was angry. I'm taking him away because I am furious. So the request for a king came back in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now the people had come to Samuel who was about to die. And they were uh, asking him for a king. And so Samuel went to God and he was upset about this. And God said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You go back and tell them what that kingly rule is going to look like. And it it didn't look very good. So Samuel did that. He told them how ugly their life was going to be under a king. And the people didn't care. They said this in 1 Samuel 8, 19 to 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And so among other things, fear was driving their motivation for a king. Fear is just a feeling that tells you you have a need to be safe. And all of us have it. We can all feel it if we listen too much today. To the news, if we just listen to what they're saying about this virus and everything, you know, there's a news channel out there that has a ticker on the screen and it tells how many people have the virus and how many people have died. And every time they hear about another one, the ticker goes up. There's plenty of places you can go to feed your fear today. And so if you want to know about your need for safety, go feed your fear. Just listen to the latest lockdown measures, you know, another states put everybody in their home. You know, the, the fear goes up. Um, And then listen to the models about how we're going to get out of this thing. Is it going to be months? Is it going to be years? Fear goes up. It's pretty easy to feed your fear these days. But God doesn't want us to feed our fear. He wants us to feed our face for protection. Run to him. Listen to Psalm 91, verses 1 to 6. This should feed your faith. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Our God is willing and capable of being our first line of defense, the place we run to for safety. He wants us to keep our hearts, our minds fixed on him and who he is. Remember our brother Peter, the disciple Peter, you know, the one who denied Jesus three times, that Peter. In Matthew chapter 14, they had just witnessed Jesus do an incredible miracle, uh, feeding the 5,000 people, what I call the all-you-can-eat-bread-and-fish buffet. So they had just witnessed that, and they, and they are getting ready to leave. And Jesus says, hey, you guys go on in the boat. I'm going to stick around here and pray for a little while. So they, they, he sends the disciples out on the boat. And, and when they're out there, the wind kicks up and the waves kick up and just jostling the boat around. And so he, Jesus goes out to them walking on the water. And they see him and they, they are afraid. They're terrified. And they say, it, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, it's okay. It's me. And Peter says, hey, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks at least one or two steps on water. I mean, think of that. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he notices the waves. He feels the wind whipping him around and he starts to sink. And he reaches out, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him by the hand 
And together they walk on water back to the boat. Is that you today? Is that you? Have you been focused too much on the storm that is raging around you? Have you been feeding your faith with the news, with the, with the death toll of this virus, with all the conjecture about what's going to happen? Listen, that's just your need for safety talking. It's just your need for safety. And there's only one place you can turn your eyes to to have that need truly met in your soul. It's not your, your leaders. It is not your spouse. It is not your education, your degrees hanging on your wall. It's not your money. It's not your doctors. It is Jesus Christ, the strong tower where we can run into. He says to us today, come to me, come to me, keep your eyes on me. Now, if you think about that and what that means for our lives, that doesn't mean we get to stay in the boat. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's obvious to us, isn't it, that Peter was safer in the boat during a storm on a lake than getting out trying to walk on water. I mean, for us, that's obvious. But for people who have their eyes fixed on Jesus, who are listening to his voice, they're going to hear him say, come to me. And that means we're going to have to get out of the boat and walk on water. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't live wisely. It doesn't mean that we don't heed the precautions of our day. It doesn't mean we don't love each other by staying away from each other for a little while. It doesn't mean that. But when he calls, we're able to come because our need for security, for safety, has been met because we can feel his grip on our life. And when we've got our need for safety met in our life, that frees us up to be able to get out of the boat, to walk on water, to go places where he calls us to go, to go love people, to go to the hospital, to go to their homes, to share what we need to share, to love people he wants us to love. Otherwise, our fear is going to keep us in the boat, keep us at home. Live wisely, but don't take your eyes off Jesus. And he We'll see you through whatever comes. He is our help. Amazing love meets this need for safety in our life. Now, let's go back to Hosea chapter 13 again. Verses 12 to 14, and we come up to a salvation need. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. So there are some sobering truths in Hosea's words there about our need for salvation. Ephraim sins against God, and they've been piling up over and over, all of these years that they've been in this covenant relationship with God. The people have broken his law every which way that they could, and all of those crimes are waiting in backlog for them to be dealt with at the proper time. You know, I looked yesterday at the, at the numbers, at the coronavirus numbers, and how many cases were going on in the world and how many people had died. And as of yesterday, anyway, the, the death rate was about 4%. Now, it looked like in the U.S. uh, we were going to fare a little bit better than that. But overall, overall, there's a 4% chance that if you get the coronavirus, you're not going to survive it. Or you could say there's a 96% chance that you're going to be just fine. You know, sin is a serious virus. And it has a 100% death rate. 100%. And it's not just physical death. It's spiritual death. Romans 3.23 says it, says it plain to, to, the, to us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that's going to tell you right there that you don't have to worry about doing social distancing when it comes to this virus of sin. Because you're born with it. 
The Bible calls it our, it's our sin nature, and it, and it talks about it all over the place. This is just one place, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the symptoms of the sin virus, um, they can be seen from an early age. My wife works at a daycare. Uh, she can uh, witness in three- and four-year-olds the sin symptoms of the sin virus. You know, like kids putting each other in headlocks. You know, how do you learn that at three years old? But it's going on. And as we get older, as we continue to age, um, that the symptoms of the sin virus get worse and worse. But some of us are better at hiding it than others. Uh, but listen, even if our, our hands and our feet and our mouth, even if those things never cause us to sin, our mind and our hearts would be piling up sins against God and waiting for that time that they would be punished. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Now, many people today or uh, many, many people are now or soon will be going without wages. Why? Because they stopped earning their wages. They stopped working. They've been forced to stop working. And when you, when you work, you get paid because you've earned it. The same with sin. The wages of sin is death. Now, it would be wonderful if someone would force us to stop sinning, even for a day. Um, but the truth is that isn't, isn't going to happen we just continue to store up these sins against God. They're in a storehouse waiting for the day that we will be punished for them. When we receive the wages that we have earned and we won't argue when that day comes. But this all leads us to the next verse. Hosea is talking about Ephraim being like a child in the womb who refuses to be born. Now the pangs of childbirth to a child aren't really pain but more like pressure. You know, and so some kids, they resist that pressure, and that puts mom through a miserable, long uh, delivery. Uh, but you know what? The baby's not doing it on purpose. The baby doesn't know any different. They don't know that life is about to change for them for the worse. <laughs> they don't know that when they open their eyes on, this, on the light of this world, when they take their first, first breath of air in this world, that it's contaminated, that it's going to be really hard living this life. They're clueless to that. They're like an unwise son. And they're feeling all this pressure on the inside. And all that pressure is trying to turn them to be ready to come onto the outside, to be born. Now, God has worked in the Israelites' lives all these, all these years to bring pressure on them, to wake them up to the fact that life is going to change for them, that it's going to change for the worse. But Israel resisted it, and they were clueless to the life that they were living, that it was going to change, that it was going to come to an end. And then verse 14 comes along and reveals what is awaiting Israel when they are born, and that is death. God says, should I rescue them from death? No, death, come. Where's your plagues? Where is your sting? I will have no compassion on them. This is the just punishment for sins against a holy God. You know, with coronavirus in our all of our news, it's in all of our conversations and um, you know, people are thinking about death a whole lot more than they ever do. I mean, normally we just go about, we live our life, we're doing our thing, and we're not thinking about death. Um, we might go to a funeral and we think about it, or we might um, hear about a family member with cancer or a friend and we might think about it. But normally we're not thinking about death all the time. But this virus has us thinking about it. And God, that's another good thing that God is doing. He is, he is alerting us to a change that's coming. He's sending pressure to us. And that pressure is coming through pain. And that pressure comes through preachers. That pressure comes through our consciences. Uh, the pressure comes through his word. It comes through missionaries who are sharing the gospel, making us aware that our sins are piling up high against God and that we are going to be punished. And it's making us aware of our need for salvation. Now, there's a lot of bad news today. And this sounds like bad news, but I have good news for you. Amazing love meets our salvation need. He's, meet, he's met it. Our sins that have been piled up high against God were all laid on his son Jesus when he was crucified on the cross. And so the one who had no sins waiting to be punished 
took on our punishment because of all of our sins so that we could be forgiven. And so what that means is your storehouse of sin can be emptied and placed on the Son of God so that you don't have anything to be punished for. That that is amazing love. I mean, think about this. The Son of God who had no need for salvation. I mean, He was with God in the beginning. Everything was created through Him. He was there. He was good. He was with the Trinity, enjoying them. But He saw our need, and so He came and put our skin on. Why? So that He could take on our sins and die our death. Amazing love. Amazing. Once he died, he was buried. But on that first Easter morning, three days later, he rose from the grave. And he defeated death. And so now, anyone who is feeling that need for salvation, who is facing the punishment for the sins that they have piled up high against God. Anyone is called to look to the Son of God, to look to Jesus, and to believe on Him to have salvation, to have their need met. Why? He's the only one who never sinned. He's the only one who could take on all the sins of mankind. He's the only one who defeated death. He's the only one. Yeah, if you've spent any time in church... On Easter, Uh, verse 14 might have rang a little familiar to you because Paul used it when he was writing to the Corinthians, to the Corinthian church about Jesus' resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 57, it, it reads this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of death being a sure thing for us, by putting our faith in the Son of, Je- Son of God, in, in Jesus and who He is and what He has done, we will be counted as righteous before God and saved from eternal death to eternal life. The question you got to ask yourself today is, has your salvation need been met in the Son of God? Has he saved you from your sin? Let me make it as plain as I can. You have the sin virus and it's going to kill you. You've got it. Jesus is the only one who saves you from certain death. He is the only one who ever said, ever in the history of all religions, in the history of all people who ever walked the planet, he's the only one who's ever said, believe in me and you will never die. Wake up, oh sleeper, wake up. Death is all around you today. It's all around you. Don't let another day go by without giving your heart to Jesus Christ. The one who has loved you with an amazing love. You just say to him, you know, Jesus, this is me. I believe in you. I believe that you died on that cross for me. I believe that you rose from the the grave to give me hope that I will too. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Take over. Trust. I trust you with me the way I am. That's what you've got to do today. You know what I want to do? I want to stop and I want to give you a chance to do that right now. We're just going to go to a time of prayer here. Just just a short time of prayer. Just bow your heads where you are. Bow your heads with me. Believer, if you're listening, please pray for those out there that have a salvation need this morning that they would respond to this good news that we find in Jesus Christ. If If you're feeling the fear of death. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, just pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, 
I'm coming, coming to you today just as I am. Full of fear. Full of guilt. Afraid of the future. I want to believe in you today. That you are the son of God. That your death on the cross was for me and my sins. Forgive me of my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave and that your victory over death will be mine as well. Come into my life. I trust you with me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, maybe for the first time, you are in the hands of the Savior. And your life is going to be different as you follow him. You're saved from death to life. I would also like to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, to send me a note. You can find an email on our on our website. Just send me a note and tell me you prayed. We'd like to reach out to you and pray for you and send you a Bible if we could. So let's finish up this chapter, Hosea 13. Last couple of verses, verses 15 and 16, and there's this need for satisfaction there. Verses 15 and 16. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. Ephraim has built for himself a pretty nice life. (laughs) He's living in prosperity and God's saying here it's all going to be taken away. It's all going to be washed away. How do we end up making all of these things that this life has to offer into idols in our life? Well, it's because we also have a satisfaction need. We want to be satisfied. We want to be content. But you know what? Amazing love can meet that need too if we let him. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told some stories there about things that got lost and then got found. Listen to Matthew 13 verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The secret to meeting our satisfaction need is when we have believed in Jesus, then every single day we have an opportunity to sell all we have And make him the pearl of great price. Make him our treasure in our life. You know, when we learn who he is and what he did and how he did it and why he did it, that should be our response to him, a surrendering of everything. If we continue to hold on to prosperity in our life, to things in our life, then our hands are not free to grab on to the Savior in faith. But when we do, he changes everything. He changes everything about our life. You know, they say salvation is the free gift that will cost you everything. And that's what they mean. When we're able to do it, when we're able to uh, give him our life, surrender it all, make him him our treasure, then things change in our heart. And we're satisfied. We're satisfied just sitting in his presence. We're not running through the stores in a panic in chaos because we've got needs. Our needs are met and we're trusting him for those things. It says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. You can have that kind of life. You can have it because amazing love meets all of these needs. Our need for worship, a spiritual need, our support need for life, our safety need, our salvation need, our satisfaction need, amazing love 
meets all of these things. So I, I, I implore you today, stop looking for love in all the wrong places, all the wrong places. Stop settling for substitutes that promise satisfaction, that promise all these things, but leave us empty. In him, Jesus, we live and move and have our being. I pray today that God will be your treasure and that he, you will find all of your needs met through his amazing love. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for so much, even in this hard time. You tell us to be joyful in hope. You tell us to be patient in affliction and persistent in prayer, Lord. And so we ask for your help, for your spirit's help right now. In each of the places that we are, in each of the situations that we face, Lord, because we have your spirit living in us, would you fill us up with joyful hope? Would you give us grace for this day? Help us, Father, to feel your presence, that we would know that you are with us, no matter what the news tells us, no matter what our job situation is, Lord. We are thankful for your spirit being with us and never leaving us. So fill us up with hope and joy and strength. Father, I lift up to you those who are sick right now, no matter the cause. You tell us, Father, we're going to have trouble. And so right now I lift up to those to you, Lord, who need healing who need strength and patience as they wait for that healing, for those who are caring for them, Lord. I ask your presence to be very near and dear to them right now. Father, I lift up to those those who are in the medical fields right now especially. They are going every day, and they are facing uncertainties, Lord. And so I ask, especially for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who are doctors and nurses and all kinds of medical expertise, Lord, that you would, you would give them grace under pressure, that you would give them strength every day to go to work, that you would give them your wisdom, that you would give them your strength and compassion, Lord, give them eyes to see that this is a time that... Um, they can be used by you to bring amazing comfort and help and strength. Father, give them strength and bless their families as they work extra hours and they are called upon to do extra work. Lord, I lift up to you those um, who are in the helping professions. As um, Mr. Rogers said, to keep your eyes on the helpers, Lord, there are so many right now who are being asked to rise up and do some hard things, new things even, Lord. And so we lift them all up to you, paramedics and police, firemen, Lord, National Guard, all of those, Father, who are being asked to go above and beyond during this time. Again, I ask your blessing, Lord, of strength and protection for help, Lord, for wisdom, and again, give them your eyes to see people, Father, because so many out there are just like a sheep without a shepherd. They're afraid. And so, Father, please give these helpers so much wisdom and compassion, Lord, and strength and the ability just to know the right thing to do. Lord, you... You know that we are creatures of habit and comfort, Lord. We like the same thing every day. And everything is so unknown right now in so many areas of our life. And so especially those, Father, in those areas that I, I just ask that you would go with them and give them extra measure of your spirit's help and um, wisdom and strength, Lord. Guide them and protect them. Father, um, I lift up to you those who are uncertain about their jobs as things change every day as we are told different things every day lord as these 
businesses, big and small, are struggling to cope and make the right decisions, Father, I ask that you would help the business owners for wisdom, but Lord, also the employees who need those jobs, who need income. Father, help each one of us to remember that you are our provider. Lift up our eyes to you. Work in us, Lord, whether our jobs are secure or insecure. Remind us that it all comes from you, every single good gift we have. Lord, give us ruthless trust in this time. Help us not just to have big faith, but also, Lord, to wait in expectation and look for how you are going to take care of us in big and little ways. Father, um, I lift up to you um, those who are, all of us who are in quarantined in different stages of that, whatever that means, Father, for each community that you live in. I ask, Lord, that you would help us not to waste this time with boredom and, and dissatisfaction and irritation. Lord, it's so easy to feel that. We are so used, used to being um, busy and productive and just out there seeing and doing and experiencing so much. Lord, we, have, we live in such a beautiful country that we can do that. But Lord, right now we are asking that you give us eternal eyes and um, maybe, Father, that you would help us see the simple things that you would bring people back around the table for dinner more, that you would help us to slow down and have conversations with the ones we love more than just about a calendar or the next thing for the weekend, Lord, but we would talk about real things, our feelings, our faith, our hopes, our love. Lord, help us to reach out. Father, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I know that right now you would have us love like we've never loved before. Show us how to do that, Father. Raise us up to be prayers that we would constantly want to be talking to you and lifting up our burdens and lifting up other people. But Lord, also open our eyes and show us the opportunities to serve each other those who don't know you and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ alike. Move us, Lord, that people would look back on this time and see that love lived out in a time of fear and uncertainty and discouragement. Father, you are such a good God. You are strong and wise you know everything. This didn't surprise you. You are peace and love and comfort and hope for us. And so we praise and worship you this morning and as we go into a new week. And we know that you never leave us. We are so thankful for you. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask all of this. Amen.